Welcome to Darkly Lit, where you may begin to imagine you hear something that sounds like static, or even the roar of an airliner. You may even feel lightheaded. Ignore these feelings. They are normal. I am your host, Kayla King. Uh, I am joined by my two other co-hosts, um, the wonderful Sade. <coughs> Sorry, air is awful today. <laughs> and my husband, David. Language! Language! Uh, and we have a special guest today, um, the awesome Zeph. What is missing in this moment? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. So we just read a very, I don't know how to describe it, a very odd, wonderfully odd book called uh, The Secret of Ventriloquism by John Paget. Now it is a collection of short stories, but God, calling it a, a book of short stories does not do it justice. Does, all the stories are kind of interconnected. So um, they, I would, you could go as far as to say they're placed in the same universe, but that's not factually correct either. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. Yeah, so there is a tangible meta narrative thread that weaves these stories together, sometimes more plausible than others, but other times not so much. Uh, David, do you want to give the uh, basically general descriptions of each story? Uh, I will do the best I can. This collection of stories, as previously stated, has a, a slight thread connecting them. I'm not going to attempt to put them all together at this rate, but I'm just going to kind of give you my initial thoughts. The mindfulness of horror practice is essentially going to, for you, to set your brain up for what to uh, deal with in this story, specifically how to be dead, how to witness the horror of being alive and uh, being dead, and something along those lines. Murmurs of a Voice Foreknown is a story about sibling rivalry that gets taken in a very interesting direction when the older threatens to essentially kill the younger on many occasions, and the younger decides, hey, I'm not going to take that shit anymore. The Indoor Swamp is the best and worst ride you will ever ride. Origami Dreams is... In my opinion, probably the trippiest of the bunch, sort of a what is a dream, what is reality, are both or neither the same thing. People changing places, cities that aren't the same cities, and um, Daddy Long Legs. Uh, 20 Simple Steps to Ventriloquism is a very important story in this one for, I think, kind of grasping the whole thing. It goes from telling you how to make a dummy talk effectively to uh, controlling reality and then eventually realizing that you are being controlled yourself. Where are you? It's very con confusing. Nihilism. Anyway, the Infusorium is a piece of detective fiction, I want to say. Sort of a dive into this town's weird seedy and polluted underbelly with some very horrific results. Organ Void is a cautionary tale about buying signs from homeless people. The Secret of Ventriloquism is a one-act play that is by the author of the 20 Steps to Simple Steps to Ventriloquism. And Escape to Thin Mountain is like Escape to Witch Mountain, except not at all. <laughs> yeah, okay. It involves some singing in a train and some homeless people. Does that help? Sure. Is that a fair enough summary? <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Zach, you're a huge fan of this book. And actually it is a callback. I don't know what the right word is. It's um he Homage. Homage. It's an homage to Thomas Ligotti, which I know you know a lot about as well. I guess uh before we get into that, what about what are the rest of your guys' like initial thoughts and opinions on it? Like what was what do you think of it? I liked it. It's confusing. I don't need to have all the answers because I think that's the point. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. For me, it became homework. I had to like, like sit myself down to make sure I did the reading. Not that that means I hated it, 
there were definitely some of the stories that I was more interested and gravitated towards more. But I think if I was reading this on my own, I would have put it down and never finished it. Fair enough. For the most part, I liked it. There's some stories I definitely liked a lot more than others or ones that um, I was able to get into much more easily than others. Uh, And I think at some point we'll talk about what's our favorites versus which ones we didn't like as much. I think it's also a book that you have to be in the right mindset to read because it is pretty nihilistic. There's points where it's like, wow, I feel so sad about my (laughs) existence and all that. But uh, Zaf, what draws you to this book or what is your connection with this book? So I'm a big fan of Thomas Ligotti, right? John Padgett runs the fan site of Thomas Ligotti and I just like... Hey, this guy who's a big fan of Thomas Degato released a collection. I have to read it. <laughs> I, I have to. Then I then I got it. I'm just like, yeah, this is really great. I, I really like this. Oh, hey, my, oh, hey, these people I know want to start a horror literature podcast. I'm going to recommend <laughs> it to them. You know, like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, about three years ago. You're like, hey, it's free. Go get it. And we did, but we never, we didn't read it until now. Yeah. <laughs> but I do appreciate that you let, you let us know and we got it for free. So. You're welcome. <laughs> Which stories were let's let's discuss that. Which stories were your favorites, or which ones did you like most? I guess most of it isn't actually a proper answer. I'm gonna go with Origami House, Infusorium, and Twenty Simple Steps to Ventriloquism. I think, yeah. Do you have a hierarchy of uh, which of like those three? Yeah, I think so. The Secret of Ventriloquism, I guess, kind of goes up there too. Mm. And it is fun to see that one. I did I did enjoy that one as a as a play. It was a good read. Yeah. My favorite is probably the first one, the uh, Murmurs of a Voice Foreknown, because I just, I liked how it has that very good, like, you know, not bad seed element, but the whole sibling rivalry where it, I, I like the turnaround. I like the comeuppance that happens in it. And it takes a, it takes some some fun, dark turns that I really enjoyed, like, especially with the, the way the younger sibling is able to start basically fucking with the older brother. <laughs> yeah. I I like it because it's like compared to everything else, it's it's pretty straightforward. Not that I didn't enjoy that. I think that one was actually closely followed by the indoor swamp. That was kind of a trip. I just kind of like how surreal that one was. Yeah, there's I you know me. I like weird descriptions of bizarre Gatlinburg style themed attractions. (laughs) (laughs) This one sounds really bad, but also amazing. Know know what I'm going to do for my next contest, (laughs) whatever that is. I seriously like like I like I said I can only picture some weird thing in like I don't know Pigeon Forge you know pay like a couple bucks and get in the swamp boat yeah <laughs> you you think you're gonna see some janky animatronics and then you're sailing through a swamp and then a warehouse and then like a really long trailer like it's so weird and so unsettling because of its yeah. weirdness in my opinion okay so I often have dreams about us being at like Disneyland when I can't be there. Mm-hmm. And and every every time we go on this Disney ride that that doesn't exist, it's either like a new ride or like one that wasn't open before. And this it was very much one of those rides I see in my dreams where I was like none of this makes sense. Why is this in a Disney park? I'm not comfortable anymore. Yeah. Oh my god, that actually I've had dreams like that. Same. That that, that... You're voicing what I couldn't, I didn't think about because it was buried in my subconscious, but I have dreams where I get on Pirates of the Caribbean and suddenly the track is suspended in the air over a big void and there's like, you know, just like stuff, random stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have those dreams, but usually it's like, oh, I'm on the Haunted Mansion, but it's clearly 
not the Haunted Mansion because it's like the Haunted Mansion doesn't have swings that go around it around a, a burning effigy. <laughs> this is a dream I had, by the way, where I'm like, oh, we're going on the Haunted Mansion. Go on a swing. <laughs> it moves forward. You see a burning cross. Wow. That was actually a creepy dream. That's amazing. But, that, that ties in so well with like one of the, I think this undercurrents of this story, which is like dreams, you know, or mm-hmm. these yeah. stories. I, I think my favorite actually is in Infusorium because I love the voice of the character. It, it feels so much different from the other ones for the most part. Like it, she clearly has a personality, but also I feel like this is the story that kind of combines all of them together and connects like the different pieces. Like I think this is the uh, tentpole story mm. um but i also like you i really did like indoor swamp and um origami dreams is, is pretty good too actually no 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 let me rephrase that i really like this uh secrets of ventriloquism that's a great story that's a great play that's a very i, I can't the problem is with that play though i tried imagining what it would look like on stage and i s- kind of struggled because i was thinking oh okay clearly they would have a person play the dummy character but then like he turns his head and that's a very important part and i'm like that's not gonna work if it's a real person yeah i actually think it's written in a way where it can't actually be played to like make it weirder i think you know to me that smacks of like if if someone tried to write down what they would see the the king in yellow looking like yeah something like that i'm pretty sure someone actually tried making the king in yellow but you know that's <laughs> there's, there's no way <laughs> there's no way it won't work it doesn't work no you would need a very high stage production to put on this um the play uh the secret of ventral cousin because there's like a lot of moving parts like oh she's in the bed that's standing upright and then it lifts up with her in it um, or like the way he his like clothes split in half yeah. and he's in a different outfit when he goes into the dream and then it splits again and he's back in that first outfit. Yeah. I, I don't know how that would be possible. I feel like you need the set designers for the cursed child. <laughs> I've heard those sets are amazing. The one story I I'm not gonna I'm gonna admit that I least liked is um Escape to Thin Mountain. And I think it's just because I don't think it's a good ending to like this weird story we've been going through and all that and i'm just like why are we here why are we following these people i get the connection but geez yeah i i kind of agree with you i i mean it's very straight a reference to 10 steps the thin mountain by thomas ligati but also yeah i agree with you it doesn't really work as a climax mm-hmm. actually even think the last two stories as much as I like Organ Void for being really fucking weird and kind of very Burroughs, like it's kind of naked much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think I like it as a story, but like where, I don't know, I, I, I do think it would have made it like more of a climax somehow, but like that's probably my only big criticism. Uh, do you think sort of the anti-climax of it like the fact that nothing really gets resolved is kind of the like the point in a weird way. Everybody just kind of sits in this bizarre universe that has now been. I, I mean, I, again, trying to wrap your head around everything that's going on is really tricky because of the nature of the story. And there's not there's not a resolution. Things don't go back to normal because there was never really a normal to begin with. So almost like in a weird way, I felt like the anticlimax of it kind of works. It kind of leaves you going, well, crap. 
Yeah, I I kind of agree in a way, but I I think there could have been a better anticlimax than uh, Thin Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. I think another issue with Organ Void too is when when you read it, you automatically. I actually automatically think this is probably going to be body horror, and I was right, but it's. It doesn't gross me out as much as like other stories I read, like um, Guts by Chuck Palahniuk. That one really makes me feel uncomfortable. That's really weird body horror. But with this one, this is kind okay, this sounds gross, but it's kind of relatable when you're sick. Like, y- you go through all these, gro- like, when you're really sick, like, you've been yeah. throwing up and, like, you you have, a, like, the stomach flu. Yeah. These are things you kind of go through when you have the stomach flu. And it's gross and disgusting, and it's things we don't talk about. And this but. is being equated with with a more substantial horror because this is all apparently caused by the acquisition of a sign where your organs are literally voiding mm-hmm. or figuratively voiding. Again, there's guru musings worked into it that throw it completely off. Yeah, I kind of like that actually. Like you have this very like immature like body horror going gross out horror going on and then you but like it's in this tone like very serious poetical tone and it's really weird and i kind of like that yeah it's like it's interesting because I, I i liked all of the stories i just there's a different there's a di- definitely a hierarchy of the ones that that definitely spoke to me and i didn't at a certain point i looked for, i didn't i stopped trying to look for a major through line because i realized that the point wasn't the point was to both find the through line but then kind of accept and i kept kind of referencing back to the the very beginning with the the steps to like prepare yourself for horror or whatever the title sto- the initial story was called yeah. um the the mindfulness of horror practice and i realized like you know that whole thing is a sort of setting up the themes that you're going to be experiencing through the rest of the uh through the collection and as I kept equating it back to the themes running through, but at least they're consistent with the mindfulness of horror. Yeah, I, th- I think in the end, like, well, so imagine you're suddenly stuck in, like, the Call of Cthulhu. You're in Call of Cthulhu now, right? And you have these notes, and you have all this evidence, and, like, you, you know, you have your entire, like, the conspiracy theory board, uh, where, like, you have red lines going through everywhere, but you, you just can't get a clear picture. Like, you have mm-hmm. all this evidence, but actually getting a clear picture is impossible and it's maddening. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, I feel like there's, there's, we could talk about some of the, like the running themes that are kind of through all the stories or like what maybe the overarching thing is, but yeah, the, the maddening part of it and the, the voidness of it and the sort of like dead, like the void and dead that keep growing is a, I think a recurring theme in there, you know, themes of pollution, themes of uh, trying to move outside. Like there's almost like a, like a Buddhist ideal of like moving outside the self. But then when you do that, you find out that it's, it's horrific. There's no Nirvana. Yeah. It's worse. It's funny. I I almost don't feel like I have, there's like a lot I want to say. And also not a lot I want to say, because I kind of, I'm kind of willing to just let the mystery be, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I mean, it could be interesting to sit here and like d- d- draw the lines we have noticed. We do have questions later on from listeners who did read this. And I, I got to admit, this book actually got people talking on our Discord. Mm-hmm. This book, especially for some reason, especially, uh, surprisingly, was like, everyone's like, well, what about this? What do you think this is? What about that? I love that kind of stuff. I mean, anybody who um, has looked in some of my past work might know that I'm a huge fan of Satoshi Kon's uh, Paranoia Agent. And there's kind of a 
I, it's for like the reasons I like Paranoia Agent are the same reasons I like this. There's an interconnect. There's a through line that connects all these disparaging stories, but the through line is really surreal, and you might be able to put something together, but it, it might take take a bit. Um, so I'm I'm totally happy to discuss it too. And if you want to have the discussion kind of be prompted by the the questions, that might be a way to approach mm -hmm. this as well. I really appreciated the huge amount of discussion we got on the discord about it it was really cool to see really heartening mm -hmm. maybe like having some additional context for the history of the the book itself and for like the sort like sort of the author's homage source would be good and that's the other reason we brought zap here <laughs> yes <laughs> one thing i want to bring up because i realized he took a lot of inspiration from different things. Um, Hurricane Katrina was happening at this time and he was living in New Orleans. So mm. that he took inspiration from that as well. Uh, the whole smog event that happens in Infusorium is based off of the 1948 Denora smog, uh, which happened in uh, Denora, Pennsylvania, killed 20 people, but caused respiratory problems in about 6,000 people of the 14,000 population. It only happened with, uh, over the course of five days, like from October 27th to Halloween. And the reason why it stopped was for two reasons. One, they finally got the steel mill to shut down on that day. But it also happened to be the same day that a storm cloud came in and it was a rainstorm and that cleared everything up. It's it's, it's a very oh. interesting history and it's, it, it is kind of tragic though, because... Um, Apparently the air there is still very terrible and there's a lot of residents who, I mean, this is 1948. It's not that long ago. And there are people there that are, are not doing well in terms of breathing problems. I didn't know that actually. That was, that's very interesting. I was going to say this is Pennsylvania, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Man, first, you know, this place, and then, you know, Centralia with the fire that never stops burning underground. That's right. What is it with Pennsylvania and like horrific environmental disasters? <laughs> Yeah, let's get into questions. Um, so I got uh, questions from Bringer, which is, uh, what is the significance of the daddy lawn lakes? Which I think referring to um, in the first story, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I get, I have trouble remembering the titles of these. Murmurs of a voice foreknown with the younger brother basically using daddy long legs along with other bugs to get his brother to be sick. Mm -hmm. And then this leads into the th like daddy long leg symbol to pop up in a couple other stories, especially in Fusorium? That's a good question. Um, because like there is a lot of the symbolism there, right? You have people's limbs like growing long and weird. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if it's not just like the dream connection, honestly. I mean, you have you have the connotation of uh, being the most poisonous spider in existence, which is <laughs> you know, not true, but you know, these weird spindly limbs. Um, I So I wonder if the connection there isn't just like dream-like because we do have like this horrible dream being warping reality around people and I wonder if it's not just like the dream connotation there it doesn't really make sense because it's a dream right mm -hmm. maybe I don't know does anyone have better ideas for me it was uh, connecting things visually because you you have that image of these long limbs and that was multiple things were described with long twisting limbs that went in odd directions and I, I think for, that was just like I don't I I wasn't looking for connections I was just like I'm just reading this if I catch something I catch it if I don't figure out the mystery I'm fucking good so <laughs> for me it was more of like oh here's that creepy visual of these long folding limbs again so and that that just kind of carried this unsettling mood through all the stories where we saw that 
Yeah, mm. I, I and I think that's always been the thing about daddy long legs in general, because um, I mean, they're not poisonous. They're actually pretty harmless for the most part, but they've always been creepy because of their appearance. And then adding that creepy appearance to what's happening with the people in Infusorium keeps the connection, but also adds that eerie visage. You know, what's funny is, um, in that essence, I think the story I struggle with the most in terms of me trying to wrap my head around what's going on is still origami dreams. Um, because what is reality? What is a dream? Everything sort of connects, but doesn't because of that one, because of, you know, the mattress with the hole in it, to the origami house, to the dream of Solomon Croft becoming apparently the reality, but maybe it was always the reality. And what we experienced from the other person, from Jack was the dream. It's, it's or what maybe both are a dream or maybe both can exist simultaneously. It, it's, it's, it's the most surreal and nothing in the other stories helps you ever get a sense of what that is. And except for the, the connecting thing that they're that, that force that sort of on the outside, whether it's the fog or Mr. Vox or the, the, the ultimate ventriloquist or daddy long legs or the origami, just like there's something eldritch, whether it's a concept or a being or whatnot lurking on the outside. And I think the fact that it defies so much of us, you know, I was trying to like interconnect it, even as the it gives hints that there's interconnectedness is what makes it eldritch. It's like I, we were talking about earlier with Call of Cthulhu and the evidence. Yes. I might just skip around for questions because you brought up um, Solomon Croft. Uh, uh, Dan or Urkelbach666 asked, um, who is Solomon Croft? Is he a real person? An abstract personality? A uh, manifestation of greater ventriloquism? A victim of daddy long legs? I couldn't exactly put my finger on it. I think he's all of them. And none. <laughs> Said me trying to just stay cryptic the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I, to me, he kind of seems like a victim, honestly, mostly. I I think you had two people, and then the origami or whatever oh, folds into one somehow. That's cool. Yeah, like two people from different realities that, like, then gets folded together. Because, fuck you, that's why, I guess. I I mean, that makes sense to me, somehow. Realities got folded together, and that's why Solomon Croft and this other person, uh, it was Jack, right? Jack, yeah. uh they're the same person actually yes. did. and not the same person um uh bringer also asked is the origami story about joseph it can't be coincidence that margaret is there because margaret is also just uh is also a character in um the secret of ventriloquism so here's the thing i realized that the secret of ventriloquism because that takes place if we're okay if we're gonna try and put a timeline that's the actually the closest thing i saw that takes place before origami dreams Mm -hmm. and before the plane crash and since yes. it's a while later that the plane crash happens i think margaret had an affair with the person who would later be solomon cross oh jack mm -hmm. had an affair with jack yes and then you know the plane crash happened and then we're 10 years from that plane crash when uh origami dreams happens at least in Jack's reality. Well, because then Jack and Margaret now have kids and they're married. Yep, is the, is the same reality, but but Margaret Margaret's the connective tissue because Margaret used to be with uh, with Joseph. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. I think as much as this can make sense. Uh, yeah, 
Again, it's like a, it's a connective thread. Something that clicked for me that is kind of weird if it's actually playing that is... Okay, so the narrator of uh, Murmurs of a Voice for Known, I don't think it's actually ever mentioned, right? No, I don't not, think so. Not that I recall. Um... Because they keep saying my brother. I, I guess the idea we keep thinking this character is masculine because uh, it's like unlike my brother, I was neither uh, athletic nor interested in athletics of any kind. So you would assume, oh, male, it would be expected of them. But then there's another point where, um, yeah, they say they say I was the younger of two children. Okay, so not two brothers, two children. Yes. Okay, so Detective Tosto was mentioned to have been abused as a child. Mm -hmm. Jack slash Solomon Croth has to bed, so... It could be a coincidence of the fact that the realities got folded together, because, you know, he said he'd never noticed that... As far as we know, he'd never noticed that hole before, Solomon Croth. Okay, so considering uh, Detector Tussle gets canned out, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna fuck this guy. I might <laughs> fuck this guy. No, I'm not gonna fuck this guy. And then later actually kills him. We get, we're getting into kind of... Oh, the pedal story here. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's, um, I hadn't thought of it that way, oh but God. that's, I don't think that's an unfair reach. Honestly. I'm going through. Well, the one thing, the, I love the last line of that, of that first story, by the way, with, but where it's, you know, he's, what is, what is the line? Oh, at, if you of, go to the very end of uh, the murmurs one, yeah, that that the murmurs because oh, there it is. I love that. I, I know, I know, you won't kill <gasps> oh, me, no, but, he, bro. He, but he, one day I'm going to kill you, and one day I did. No, I no, love that end. So okay, the brother says, "Bro, look." So it's a it's they're a brothers. Brother. They're, they're brothers. Uh, I mean, it could have changed during like the weird unfoldings. That's like some that could have happened. I don't know. Think of origami in the basic sense. It's the idea of turning something into something else. It's paper into whatever you want, an animal or um, a heart. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of art, but it also involves the manipulation of matter, the mm -hmm. folding increasing, not unlike the kind of intricate stuff you have to do with ventriloquism. Yes. He said, waggling his eyebrows <laughs> to great effect, because you can <laughs> totally see that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the problems of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, it's funny because the, the origami thing gets brought up initially in uh, the indoor swamp when they describe the, how the, the swamp boat kind of folds and breaks apart until it's like more like train cars on a track. Uh, by the way, uh, we kind of answered uh, one of Bringer's questions. So I'll just say um, he asked, what role do the two brothers play from the first story in the whole collection? So, and we kind of we kind of theorized about that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Is, is it weird? The two brothers, I just thought of this, is kind of like, it feels like a bizarre framing device where it's almost like they're the bigger universe and things are, and then you get, you get, the world gets progressively smaller, like, or expands to, to be like, everything else is only kind of tangentially related to those two brothers. It's like that scene in Over the Garden Wall where you see the two brother, the two kids winding up the little fairy and putting it in the pond. Oh, the McLaughlin yeah. brothers mm -hmm. fairy. And yet there's this whole universe that's around this, but those two brothers are irrelevant to the story overall. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like that's this thing here. What if like all of this is just a result of the fight between these two brothers and the the the, the plots to kill each other between these two, well, sort of plots. One, the younger brother's plot to kill the older brother. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? 
like this is all some this is all some dream or delusion projected out from these actions you know yeah i mean that makes as much dream sense as anything else so. <laughs> it's fun it's fun it's fun it's fun it's fun i got another question actually to go with the two brothers um from uh urkelbot 666 two brothers it's just <laughs> it's just called two brothers do you believe that sam the undead un or not undead the dead unborn sibling from this first story was real supernatural entity in any way or more of a symbol a motivation for what comes in the rest of the stories and uh he actually theorizes was it mr vox from the play hmm i saw sam more as a symbol but now looking back on it i wonder if sam is just another part of the overarching theme you know dead things that keep growing in their own way i think sam was just a fabrication but if you want to run with the theme of creation that way i mean i guess you could make something of it but i i think you're right i think it was just a fabrication but i think it sam was also used as a tool to quote unquote manipulate the narrator of the story kind of like how a lot of different things are used or like fabrications are not, I don't want to say fake things, but it's kind of like the idea of a dummy is you're trying to trick people into believing it's alive, right? Yeah. That's kind of the case in the first one with Sam. He's not trying to say he's alive, but he's trying to trick this uh, his um, brother into thinking Sam is real in order to manipulate him into... Oh, and that one day I'm going to kill you and Sam's going to take over your body like and animate you like a ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of agree. I think Sam is just a means to an end. And interestingly enough, I like how the younger brother is able to use Sam as a motivator to eventually get get his revenge. Like, he basically, he's kind of like, he, he, I, I like that bit. I like that Sam get the, the, this, this weapon, this thing that gets, this concept that gets weaponized against the younger brother is now being used as, as a motivator for the younger brother to get back at the older brother. I love this story. I really, really <laughs> like this story. I like how very little in it actually happens, but it just nails the tone perfectly, and it's it's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we got a, a couple last questions. Um, uh, Bringer asks um, for the final story, um, "Escape to Thin Mountain." Is the last story the doll leading them to death? And I was like, the doll. Oh, the dwarf. I think no, no. I think the is or the little Evie is Evie a doll. I hadn't actually thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that thought didn't occur to me either. But if you like think of like those toy dolls, you like squeeze their hands and they start singing or something or speaking. Like yeah, that kind of makes sense again in like a weird way. Where fucking, I guess everything yeah. makes sense. I mean, they never make a big deal of the fact that they found little or they. I say they because. Um, I actually really find it interesting that the, the the narrator of the story is using um we pronouns or we to refer to themselves. And yeah. Well, it's 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 a group of people or a few people with Evie. But then there's a part where they look at themselves in the mirror and they say we look like this and it's describing one person, but not also not exactly describing one person, like maybe it's multiple people being represented, maybe they're also speaking to us too, you know? And we are included, but they did. They did find little little Evie in the arms of a of a corpse. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not no big deal is made out of that later. <laughs> so actually, 
that tracks. Because doesn't Evie sing? Be a doll. Evie sings the same song each time, right? I got the impression that little Evie sang different songs, but the one consistent song, the one that they hope for, is the, the Thin Mountain song. Didn't the train get referenced in Infusorium? There's a part where an old train goes by and the smoke doesn't come out. The way the smoke comes out of the smokestack is not into the air, but like just like falls and like settles on the ground. But they described it as an old train. And the way that the the whippoorwill is described oh, yeah. is a very old black mm-hmm. train. Yeah. So Okay, so maybe the last two stories then are like, like it's after when the stars are right, right? Like the, the Eldritch Abominations had like kind of ruled for a while. Mm-hmm. Because my, I think what happens in Organ Void, yes, we're on Organ Void now, uh, she kind of becomes like an assassin for the origami, the that long legs, uh, ultimate ventriloquist. Because we have this mention of the unkilled, which calls back to the infusorium. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the people who need to be planted and grown. Yes. And apparently voided as well. Mm-hmm. I to die but keep growing. Yes. <laughs> oh. uh, this is gonna stick with me. I'll say that much. Um, I got one more question from uh, Urkelbot. What was your interpretation of the indoor swamp? We did kind of discuss it, but um, he said thematically it seems like it could act as an analogy for the tedium of modern life. But how does it work into the narrative through line of the story? Okay, so. Two things. Um, first of all, it is mentioned later in Origami Dreams how uh, this the weird ride has opened. Uh, yes. And I feel like it kind of also thematically at least has things to do with uh, Jack slash Solomon Cross uh, existence, how he's like, he keeps losing himself in it. So you know, people end up there, and they have no idea how they got there. But like, they have to go uh, take, they have to take the ride. They like ha- have to take the ride, and I think it, like thematically, it kind of folds into pun intended. Uh, how like the origami kind of eats up people's lives and makes them dreamlike and kind of fussy and not a whole lot, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. I could totally see that. Hmm. The fact that we all came kind of like a bunch of us came out and talked about theme park, weird theme park dreams. Mm-hmm. It already has a dreamlike quality to it. I feel like a, um, for the most part, a lot of these stories have very dreamlike qualities to it. And it is the idea of what's real versus what's imaginary, which also fits with that whole uh, ventriloquist idea with the dummy. Like, because in, in your brain, when you look at a dummy, um, it's talking, it's moving, and you think, oh, real, but it's cl- like your mind says, well, clearly it's not, but there is that fine line. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I think as you go through, you can actually find the idea of ventriloquism. Yeah. Or again, the secret of ventriloquism yeah. throughout each in- story. A lot of stuff about altered states, a lot of things about facsimiles that could be seen as real but ultimately proved to be you know fake maybe not and more you know consistently going toward nothing and is real all is void Mm -hmm. nihilism yay (laughs) hey kids (laughs) nothing matters art is a lie (laughs) 
Well, I think that's the horror behind this. That's the main idea behind the horror behind this is. Oh, the mindfulness of horror certainly sets that up. Exactly. You're just a walking skeleton. Yeah. Notice how horrific being alive is. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you get when you get right down to it, I don't. I, I don't think we're afraid of dolls and dummies. Because they might start to move. I think we're afraid of them because when we get right down to it. Maybe we're not more than puppets, you know? We're we're just like fleshy things that think we are real. <laughs> no, we're no, we're getting too fussy. Have we been too fussy? We're getting we're getting we're getting very existential, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, <laughs> um, I had a question for uh, you, Zaf. Yes. So other than like Thin Mountain, I haven't read a lot of, I, I did when you shared with me the 10 steps to Thin Mountain, I did read it. Yeah. And actually I read it before I read Escape to Thin Mountain. So I, I appreciate, I got the context. Yes. Uh, and what it was an homage to. But uh, beyond that, I haven't read much of Ligotti's work. So it does look, does Ligotti's stories kind of deal with similar themes? Uh, yes, he is. Um... Well, I mean, first of all, I think uh, as a context to the human, um, he has like all the mental issues, like every single one. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, slight hyperbole, but like he's overall not a mentally healthy being. So his he has like a lot of themes of, well, there's a lot of themes of like nihilism, of like, you know, people not being real. He has like this obsession with puppets as well. Um, oh really? I, I honestly, I I think most of the references are like generally more thematic, and the only story that is like straight up like an homage is the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like overall, I think I stylistically and thematically and philosophically, I think the similarities are more. I don't want to say surface level because, like, that would be lying. But like, there's I can't think of another homage in there. I may have missed it. It's possible I missed it. Um, well, it's I, I more just want thematic yeah. than anything. It's more thematic. Well, thematic is fine too. Like, I, I was just trying to get a sense of like where the thematic elements connected between the two the two writers because, and now I understand that this kind of stuff is very much in Ligotti's oeuvre. You yes. know, it's interesting that you brought up. Um, like puppets are a thing in Legati's story. Cause I, I read an interview with John Padgett cause I wanted to see, uh, he does discuss his book in this interview and I did not realize he was an actual ventriloquist. And the first seven steps in the 20 steps to uh, ventriloquism are actual steps you can take to be a ventriloquist. Yes. After that, it's just bumfuck wild. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, if you really want to try your hand at ventriloquism, those steps are actually good to use. Yes, it's it's actual ventriloquism advice. You 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 know don't use the next eight steps. Or I mean, do I'm I'm not taking any responsibility if you do, but you know, yeah. Uh, do we have any last thoughts? Uh, I do we? I David, <laughs> do do you, do you have any thoughts? I don't know, Zaf. Do I really have any thoughts, <laughs> or am I just an animal dummy? What is missing at this moment? <laughs> organ boy. <laughs> organ boy. Why did you make a death metal song? Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. Actually, um, 
I guess my only my only question is, what kind of person goes around around buying cardboard signs from homeless people? That's yeah, in a VW bug. Like it's it's kind of weird, isn't it? Like it's who do we it's the most interesting reason for someone to buy to have this event happen in the story. I'm like, okay, that's kind of a neat character quirk, but it also feels like a bizarre, a weird way to just be like, I need to find a way to get the sign of this homeless person into the hands of this of this woman. Okay, she buys them, she collects them. I feel like he must have known someone who does this. Like, this is not just a. This feels a little too random. <laughs> I would not. Uh... It does seem like something someone would do, yes, right? I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, th- I think you might be right there. That's my, that's my final thought. Just yeah. you know, yeah. I, again, the book is good. It's very weird and strange, and which makes it, I mean, in, which works for the horror of it. And again, some stories I like more than others. Um, but it, it when it, I think what really makes it interesting is thinking about the different like connections and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Zap, thank you for joining us. And actually you were a good um, reference for this story, especially since uh, none of us are really have read Thomas Ligotti. Yeah. So it's good to have that um, in like background or insight yes. into this uh, for this book. So, uh, so uh, for our next book, we will be reading, um, was actually we're going to be doing a comic a graphic novel to be specific back to graphic novels yes this is a uh still a creepy graphic novel uh it's called farmhand um we'll be reading volume one uh reap what was sown uh by rob giori i if i'm butchering his name i apologize for those uh who are not sure what volume one is just read the first five comics if you can find those We'll put uh, links for where they are in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Just to give insight. So, If you like what you hear on this show and you're not familiar with the other work we do on the Creative Horror Network, you're welcome to go check those out. Shows like Midnight Marinera, Undercooked Analysis, The Witching Hour, uh, Creepy Cooking Staff, and Trick or Track all included on there. Uh, if you want to suggest any stories for us to read, do we have that? You can reach out to us on Twitter um, at darklylitpod or uh, email us at uh, darklylitpodcast at gmail.com if you want to give any suggestions or stories or want to give our questions. Yeah, feel free to message us there. And, you know, be joining us for the discussion in the future. We always like getting people on board. If you are a patron to any of the creative horror shows, you get access to the Discord and that has access to the chat rooms related to every single one of these chat rooms. That has access to the channels associated with any of the podcasts on the Creative Horror Network. You can get on there and you can talk to other people about the stories. There's a lot of lively discussion happening there. Uh, so be sure to check that out if you can. And uh, yeah. I think we need to leave because I think the smog is settling in. Sea monkeys. Reminds <laughs> me of sea monkeys. What is missing at this moment? See you later, animal dummies! Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. 
For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. Ha, 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 ha.